Can you hear me? Yeah. So I'd like to start with a, a poem, which is from this collection, which is called The First Free Women. And this is contemporary poems, which are inspired by the awakening poems of the first Buddhist nuns who have lived uh, at the time of the Buddha. And these are contemporary um, renderings of those poems by a friend. And this poem is called Dantika, the Elephant. While walking along the river, after a long day of meditating on Vulture Peak, I watched an elephant splashing its way out of the water and up the bank. Hello, my friend, a man waiting there said, scratching the elephant behind its ear. Did you have a good bath? The elephant stretched out its leg. The man climbed up and the two rode off like that together. Seeing what had once been so wild, now a friend and companion to this good man, I took a seat under the nearest tree and reached out a gentle hand to my own mind. Truly, I thought, this is why I came to the woods. So I was thinking, you know, to choose this poem tonight because it speaks about, you know, such a an animal which, which had been so wild once, you know, has become a good friend to this man because he had the patience and the kindness, you know, to train the, this animal and make it his companion. And I think that's, you know, what we can do with our minds as well because our minds can be pretty wild at times and very hard, you know, to deal with. But if we have the patience and the kindness and also the information, then we can train our minds just like this good man has trained the elephant. And, uh, you know, the main point about training our minds is to have the have the patience, you know, to develop a relationship to our mind. It's all about the quality of the relationship which we have with our own experience. It's not so important what the experience is, but the relationship we have to it. That's where we have an opportunity to make a difference. We don't have much capacity, you know, to control our lives and what, you know, life brings to us, but we can have an influence how we relate to it, and that's what the Buddhist teaching is all about. How do I deal with this? How do I relate to this? This is where we can make a huge difference, and through the way, you know, how we're relating to our experience, we can slowly... Um, create more space around our experience and through that spaciousness we can see conditionality, you know, we can see how our mind works. And, you know, in the beginning we are thinking there is somebody in there who is doing all of this thinking. And then once, you know, we really um, have 
had the time to really look into these workings of the mind and get some space around it, what becomes clear is it's not somebody in there who is doing the thinking, but it's actually the thinking which produces the self. It's not that the self is doing the thinking, but the thinking is doing the self. It's the, exactly the other way around from what we think. And, you know, that's a, it's a long journey, but it's a journey which has very clear guidelines, you know, in the Buddhist teaching, but also I think in many other spiritual teachings, it's all about getting to the bottom of this mind and starting to see, you know, that there's nobody there. But it's just a whole uh, network of uh, conditioning and assumptions and misunderstandings and misperceptions, you know, which throw like a net of delusion over everything, what we are experiencing. And uh, so this honing this capacity to respond rather than react or repress, you know, reacting is one way how we can, uh, you know, relieve ourselves from discomfort and repressing is another route, you know, which we try. And both of them don't really work. And, you know, if we have the clarity in relating to what is happening in a, in a spacious and accepting and interested, curious way, then slowly but surely, you know, the... The path is opening up because, as I said, you know, today in the Dhamma discussions, the Dhamma really wants to be known. It's not hiding from us at all, you know. It's it's kind of what in the Tibetan tradition is called self-secret. Means you know, because of the deluded looking, we can't see, but it's it's hidden in plain sight. And the more we are capable, you know, of sensitizing our minds the more we can see. And, and that's the process of um, cultivating the mind through meditation and through, you know, setting uh, skillful priorities in our lives. And then over time, you know, it becomes, it dawns on us like the sun, you know, rising in the morning. We don't have to pull the sun up. It's just coming up. And the same is, you know, that the Dhamma reveals itself to us as we are basically making our mind um, capable to see it. And uh, you know, and that that process of training the mind in the in the classic early teachings is described in the following quote, and, and maybe some of you, it might sound a little bit, you know, um, confusing because you mightn't have heard the concepts before, but I'm just going to start here and, uh, and then I try to unpack it a little bit. And, you know, whatever speaks to you, take that with you and, and things in which, which might be a little bit a stretch to understand at this point, that's also okay, you know, to just let it let it do its its work. Let it just uh, drop into the mind like you 
drop a stone into a pond and see what happens. So that's a quote uh, from the suttas, from the so-called Anguttara Nikaya, which is one of the four big collections of suttas in the Pali Canon. And, and it goes like this. Whosoever is emancipated from the world, so that means, you know, whosoever is no longer identified with what is going on inside the mind does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four establishments of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four establishments of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. So, and the five hindrances, you know, that's what you all have been experiencing today, and me too, of course, you know. That's the five ongoings or patternings of the mind which hinder the mind to know what is good for oneself and what is good for others. That is how it's uh, defined in the scriptures. You know, hindering the mind to know what is good for oneself and what is good for others. And in the scriptures, you know, there's a simile, uh, it's the simile of the water bowls. In, in Iron Age India, you know, water bowls were used uh, as a mirror, so one could, you know, see one's image reflected. And the Buddha used lots of this, you know, daily... Uh, usage similes so people could so he could illustrate his teaching and was easily understood and so the first of these five hindrances which you surely have all experienced is sensual desire in the Pali language it's called Kama Chanda and it's compared you know with a water bowl where there is some dye in the water and when the face, you know, is reflected back, it's, it's in the color of the water. It's not like it really is, but it's colored by desire. And, uh, you know, a good example for that would be, you know, let's say you go for a walk in, in the city and you're very hungry and you go down the street and you see all of the restaurants and all of the shops which sell food stand out because you're very hungry and you... You want something to eat. So that's a good example of how in that moment, you know, sense desire can, can uh, color the mind. And this is a very innocent example, but it can also, you know, have very negative repercussions if the mind is under that influence. And then the next one is aversion or anger or ill will in the Pali language, Payabada, and that's compared with a bowl of water where the water is boiling and it brings up a lot of steam and it's all very, very bubbly and it's impossible you know, to see one's true image in the, in the surface of the water. And that you know, can happen if anger or ill will has been triggered you know, in the system 
the way how we are looking at experience is very, very distorted by that anger energy. And the next one is a sloth and topwa in the Pali language, Tinamida. And that is compared with a bowl of water which has been, you know, put into a dark space and has developed a lot of kind of algae or growth on top of the water. And in that case, it's also in impossible you know, to really have a clear reflection of the image on the water surface. And the next one is uh, restlessness and worry. And in the Pali language, it's called utacha kukucha. And that is compared, you know, with a bowl of water where wind is going over the surface of the water and it's, it's very distorted, the image again, because of the wind which is uh, moving the water. And then the last one is doubt, vichikicha in the Pali language. And that's compared with a, a bowl of water which has mud in, in the water. And uh, again, you know, the reflection of the image is, is not clear. So this is the five hindrances. And, and this is just a little map, you know, for us to be able that if our mind has this, this quality, we can, uh, we can um, be mindful of that. We can notice it, you know, and, and see, oh, you know, my mind is under the influence of desire or my mind is under the influence of ill will or is, is very, um, you know, slothful or worried or doubtful, and then that can help us, you know, to not lose ourselves in that doubt or in the restlessness or in the worry. But it's a possibility, you know, of including this quality also in into that which which we are in the moment consciously experiencing. Instead, you know, for example, you hear maybe a... Uh, a teaching, and then after that, you know, you start worrying, you start kind of worrying about it. Maybe is this a cult, you know, I have gotten into here at Spirit Rock. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. You know, and then instead of kind of losing yourself in that worry, you could, you could also just step back and say, you know, I'm now, worry has arisen in my mind. Or, or doubt had a, has arisen in my mind. And then, you know, let that be conscious. And then, and then see, you know, if it persists. Because if we are buying into it, we often, you know, make more out of it than what it is. And, and some of those hindrances, you know, they can also be quite sneaky. You know, for example, we have... Some people have a natural tendency to doubt, for example. And that can quite easily masquerade as, as wisdom, you know. That, no, I have to really know it 100% very clear before I will be able, you know, to uh, practice with this. So to have that need for absolute certainty, you know, that can really actually stem from a lot of fear, you know. And, 
And when we, you know, start to look at our mind in, in terms of those hindrances, we become aware, you know, of certain tendencies which we have. Some people have more maybe a tendency towards greed. Other people have more a tendency towards aversion. Others maybe a tendency more towards doubt. And that's a very interesting information to have about one's own mind, you know, to see uh, what is the preferred avenues of um, distraction for my mind, you know. Or, for example, sloth and torpor, you know, this, um, you know, getting tired. As soon as we are sitting down, we feel tired. But then when the bell rings, we are kind of awake and ready, you know, to go out and have a cup of tea or something. So that has nothing to do with tiredness. That's a defense of the mind, you know. So this is a very helpful map, you know, we can use to um, see our mind more clearly and its habits. And then, you know, so the instructions would be, you know, the, the practice for us is simply to know when a hindrance is present and when it is absent. Not judging it, not trying, you know, to push it away, but just knowing it. And, you know, that is a big difference, knowing that a hindrance is present or being lost in it. This is a, it's a huge difference. And, you know, and starting to understand that the mind itself is, you know, we can compare it with the sky or with a water pole which doesn't have, which has just crystal clear water. A bowl of water with crystal clear water which very clearly can reflect back an image to us. And then as soon as, as one of those hindrances arise, they are like, you know, clouds moving through the sky. They come and they go. And if we start to, you know, train our minds, we'll be able to see, you know, oh, anger has arisen, but then we also see when it's gone again. And over time, you know, we get more and more confident that if those hindrances arise, they will also cease again. And there is no, no need to really buy into them. And it's all about, you know, developing that confidence that, those hindrances, they are temporarily arisen and they will cease again. And we do not need to become those hindrances. And that sounds like nothing, you know, big, but it's, it's, it, it's the biggest difference, you know, when that becomes available to us, you know, that we can stay conscious. This is... It's a great boon for us, you know, because we will be able to have a choice, you know, how we respond rather than, uh, you know, reacting. Because when those hindrances are present in the mind, they can you know, be experienced as quite uncomfortable in the body and in the mind. You know, if ill will is present, there's often like a contraction in the body, energy is you know, maybe there's some heat and there's real strong wish, you know, to kind of 
get rid of that pressure and then often we act out from that pressure rather than you know keeping steady with it and taking an interest what is it what's going on here and then you know tending towards it or turning towards it with with kindness and acceptance and allowing it to just be what it is making ourselves big enough you know and then it will settle down again and you know the more often we have experienced something like this you know the arising and the ceasing and if we've been able to stay conscious with that we get more and more confident that this is something we can do and that's the, the point you know of the meditation practice is to to train the mind that the mind can stay conscious when those hindrances arise and not become those hindrances and uh, so to fine tune our minds so that they are increasingly more and more capable to recognize you know what is actually really happening and seeing the the conditionality seeing you know that what's going on in the the weather in the mind you know those storms in the mind if they are you know about wanting something or not wanting something or you know being completely incapable you know of staying conscious or being very very agitated or constantly thinking and thinking and thinking and doubting and and rethinking and rethinking all of those different weather patterns you know we can really get to know them and giving them some space you know to be what they are and getting to really know them deep, intimately and then uh, they start to open up and they become basically the, the food or the soil from which those seven factors of awakening will arise if you really take an interest in what's going on and and those seven factors of awakening they are the first one of those is mindfulness or awareness or sati in the pali language so you know taking in turning towards our experience for example if there is you know some anger or some greed kicked up you know taking an interest in that how how does that feel in the body and in the mind that's the first factor of awakening and then the second one would be to really have an interest to know what is happening that's the second factor of awakening curiosity or interest and you know looking at our experience in terms of the dhamma it's also you know called investigation of dhamma so you know looking at the experience in terms of, oh you know it has a reason and what's the quality of the, of the experience how does it manifest in the body how does it manifest in the mind and then in order to stay with that experience we need to put in some energy that's the third factor of awakening so mindfulness 
curiosity or interest and energy. That would be the first three. And that's what you're doing, you know, when you're sitting down in meditation, you sit down, becoming aware of the body sitting and breathing, taking an interest. And, you know, in order to stay with that, you need to put in energy. So that's something you already have been doing many, many times. And then if we are capable, you know, of staying with the experience long enough, it starts to to settle a little bit. And then the next uh, factor of awakening arises. And it's a natural sequence. And that is uh, it's called... Um, subtled joy or contentment which comes you know if we are able you know to stay with our experience and then the next one which comes about also as a natural sequence is the body you know settles down that's uh, the next one is called is calmness or calming of the body and then if you are able, you know, to stay and settle a little bit more, then the fragmentation of our experience starts to come together, you know, and it starts to become more easy, you know, to stay focused with our meditation. And that's um, called stability or composure. And in the Pali language, it's called samadhi. You probably have all heard that word. It's often also translated as concentration, which is maybe not such a good uh, translation because it speaks too much about you know narrowing down the mind. And and then the last of those seven factors of awakening is um, equanimity or a sense of perspective, having a bird's eye view onto our experience, you know, being able to see how everything works together, the conditionality, you know, that certain things happen and then the mind reacts in a, in a way which is the result of our conditioning. And we start to understand, you know, that it is not a person who is doing this, but it's um, causes and conditions which have been you know, laid down over this lifetime or maybe other lifetimes. And they have been put into place through conditioning and they can be they can be deconditioned through the practice. And the hindrances, you know, are basically the where we start and, and they are the basis, you know, for those seven factors of awakening to be cultivated. And uh, it starts to, you know, give us an inroad onto our experience from which we can slowly but surely, you know, uh, disentangle all of those um, patternings of the mind through being able to stay with our experience and not turn away from it. And, you know, that's a, it's an ongoing practice which takes time and application, like any skill, you know, which we want to learn, 
to drive a car or to play an instrument, if we don't have, you know, if we don't put in time, it's not going to happen. And the same with this practice. It's, it's just a skill which can be cultivated through uh, patient endurance, it's called, you know, as it's, it's considered the most important quality for the practice. It's not a very flamboyant quality, but that's what's needed, you know, coming back to it over and over and over again. And uh, through that, you know, our minds become increasingly sensitized. And then through this sensitizing and grounding, the mind is more and more able, you know, to really see reality rather than being caught up in assumptions and ideas and stories and being more and more capable you know, of directly relating with experience. And that is a process of you know, of, of letting go of a lot of uh, layers and filters, you know, cognitive and emotional filters. It's not about acquiring more, you know, it's not about acquiring more knowledge that when you go away from here, you know, you have more to carry home. If you go away from here with a, the best thing, you go away from here with less, you know, with letting, leaving behind some of those Conditionings, that would be a good thing, you know, in terms of practice. Going away with less rather than with more. Because that, you know, what we are cultivating is not a body of knowledge, but it's a a way of relating to experience. And there have been so many books been written about this, there's a bookshop here at Spirit Rock also, and there have been tons of books. And the the Tipitaka, you know, the Buddha's, uh, the basically the the canon of the Buddha's teaching is a huge collection of books as well. So there have been so many different ways, you know, how this very simple practice has been expressed, you know, because it's because of its simplicity. It's, it's difficult to communicate and has been described in so many different ways and there's so many different schools of Buddhism and lineages and different poems and, and very endlessly long treaties and philosophies and all of that, all aiming at the same aim you know, trying to help us to not get lost in the five hindrances and cultivating those factors of awakening so that we can, you know, put down all of those webs of assumptions which have been created, you know, through being conditioned in in a culture, being conditioned in a family, going to school, you know, doing all of those different things which we need to do in order to 
take care of our bodies, you know, have, have a livelihood, have a name, have a passport, have a car, being able to buy food and clothes and all of that. It's a very complicated situation. But when it comes to the practice, it's all about putting those things down so that we can see that there is no self, you know, which is doing the thinking, but it's the thinking which is doing the self. And uh, I'd like to end with another poem from the same book. And it's called Chanta Conqueror. I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me, to walk this path, you will need seven friends, mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness, and perspective. That's the seven factors of awakening I was mentioning, just in a slightly different translation. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on, There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. And the supports, you know, for this practice, according to the Buddha, uh, you know, for the internal support is wise attention, and the external support is good friends. So I think that was my little, you know, reflection for tonight. And uh, we're going to hang up... uh, a piece of paper outside, you know, with the five hindrances and the seven factors of awakening, because you might not remember what was said, but you could maybe, you know, um, have that as a as a framework for reflecting on your experience, and uh, you know, knowing that this framework is over two thousand five hundred years old, and it's. It's happening in our minds just the same as it happened then, you know. It's it's a very um, down-to-earth uh, framework for, you know, getting a handle on the, on the mind and then having the patience, you know, to see it play out, you know. And understanding this is not you doing it. This is just what the mind does. So, maybe we can sit for a few minutes and then we can end with a chant.
We close with that chant, the reflection on sharing blessings, which is on the back of the first page. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest devas and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May the soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing. May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth, may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all this, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. So we we'll see you again tomorrow at for the morning meditation. And you know, have a good night. And tomorrow we have the last full day of the retreat. And uh, I'm wishing you all the best for your practice. <laughs>